summer of 92. I was ostracized from the family. I was homeless, living in San Francisco. You know, I couldn't couldn't go home for Christmases or, you know, what I was just completely alone. I was uh, panhandling and I was that street kid. Yeah. The only piece of reality that I had left of grounded reality was the band. This is back to your story. Ah, clap, 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 clap. How's it going, man? Good. How are you? Fantastic. I uh, I know I already said this, but I, I really appreciate you walking all the way here. You know, I mean, I just did buy these brand new old man shoes for my <laughs> busted up old feet. I had to break them in and it walked seven minutes and it worked out just fine. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. When we were setting this up, um, I, I, I maybe I'm a, I'm a little deceiving when I say I live in L.A. So no, that's that's far beyond <laughs> deception. You go. Hey, you want to do an interview? I'm like, sure. Where do you live? And you go, I'm in LA. And I'm like, I'm in LA too. Where are you at? You're fucking two hours away without traffic, you douchebag. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. But, you know, here we are. Right? No, no, here you are. I guess that is a fact. That is a fact. Tyler, are we here? We're here Let's roll, baby. Most definitely. <laughs> How you doing today, though? Very well. Fantastic. Very well. Yep. I haven't pooped yet, but other than that, I'm good. Oh, I don't know. I haven't either. Oh, son of a bitch. We yeah. Can, we can we can go together if you want. Hold hands. Yes. So. I love it. I That's love right. It. So, uh, you know, for the people just tuning in, listening, I always like our guests to kind of do a, a quick brief introduction of themselves. I know it's a little weird, uncomfortable, but uh, I'm going to let you take it away. <laughs> All right. My name is Eric Sandin. I am old and I was born in Glendale, California, went to school in Glendale, California, graduated from Glendale, California. And here I am. I love that. And I uh, play drums in a stupid punk band where it's, this had a couple good songs and a lot of mediocre songs called No Effects. <laughs> other than that, you know, you, you know, that's it. I know. I know. Well, you also do surfboards. Come on. I shape surfboards and I fuck your mom on occasion. <laughs> Let's go. Sorry, mom. That's <laughs> uh, all right. She would enjoy it. No, she does enjoy it. <laughs> You're making me blush, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, you want to see her. I'm back. Don't make me think of my mom like that. How dare you? Uh, so, you know, your everything that you have done I, I has inspired me since I've I've been a kid. I grew up on NoFX. Like, that is just, it's been ingrained. Me and my friends, uh, my friends and I, whatever the fuck the way you say it, right? <laughs> it's like, it, it's just such a part of, of who we were growing up. NoFX and Sublime, like, top two greatest bands of all time. But like for you being a part of all of it, where, you know, you said you started in Glendale, right? But where does the music for, for you start? Did you start playing when you were a little kid? Uh, I gotcha. Like where did the inspiration come yeah. from? Where did, uh, I grew up and I didn't grow up with much money and I grew up like, you know, blue collar family and my dad always, like his passion was music. Yeah. Like he had probably, I don't know, 1500 records and a record player and stereo that blow your fucking face off it was so loud and he would always have music on from like weird obscure jazz to just fucking black sabbath you know and everything in between and so when i was a kid it always just kind of resonated with me yeah. music did and uh i just knew that i always wanted to play it yeah. you know so i started playing guitar at, like you know eight and that lasted about four minutes and then when i was like 14 ish i guess i don't know Maybe 15, 14. Some kids in the neighborhood were like, hey, we're going to start a band. And I was like, fuck, okay, cool. And everybody had already picked instruments, and the only thing left was drums. And I was like, oh, fuck, okay, I'll, I'll be the drummer. Wow. And it just, like that. I just picked it up really quick, and within 
a year, I was playing in a legitimate LA band that was playing shows. Like, and these guys were in their thirties. Damn. Yeah, and I was fifteen. You Fuck. know, and then it just kind of just went from there. Yeah, that's that's absolutely crazy. So you you had this natural talent for playing the drums. It just came easily. No lessons. Nothing. I've never taken a lesson. Um, yeah. I mean, what the fuck? Yeah, with I remember the first band practice with the with the other kids. Um, they knew how to play guitar a little bit and bass a little bit. We were playing a song by the fr- first day I was playing drums, like playing playing like a surf beat. Holy shit! Yeah, like and I just picked it up real quick. But now, fast forward forty plus years. I wish I would have taken lessons because now I'm really hindered because I have old habits. I have, I don't know how to count or read music or any of that kind of, like I can't do a lot of, all I can play is punk rock. I can't play yeah. anything else really. Have you ever tried to take lessons? No, no. I mean, I've, I, I'm friends with some really good drummers and I'll have them show me like some, give me some tips, but you know that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah. It's kind of true. Like like my, my habits are ingrained, my my muscles are my muscles, and you know it is what it is. Yeah, where well, they say old habits die hard, right? Yeah, and yeah. so so it's it's not like I'm malleable. Yeah. That's a good word. I'm not yeah, malleable anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Where where do you think that comes from, though? Is that like I, I always wonder, like people that pick up music so quickly and so easily. It, it, do you think it's like something that gets passed down through our DNA? Because you you said your father was you know into music. Yeah, I think you just feel it. I think yeah. you just feel the 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 rhythm and the and the. What's it called? Ebb and flow of yeah. music because it does. It's it's structured. It's it's like uh, like how can I say it? Yeah, there's an ups and there's downs and, and it's it's wavelengths and you just feel it inside of you. Like this goes to here and here goes to there. It links together, and I think I just felt it. You know, because I grew up since I was a kid, like hearing music. You know, and it just I just knew basic structure. I knew just how. It's like a book. There's a chapter, and it leads to the next chapter, to the next chapter. I think I just had that inside of me. Yeah, it's it's something that's just kind of in, ingrained in you um, as a child, maybe like imprinted or something. Yeah, but you know, like people like our singer Mike, who did not grow up in a musical family, he is very musical, yeah. you know, but in a, in a different way. He, he's more methodical. I'm more um, uh, emotional. Feel it, you yeah. know. He's more methodical. So he learned it through because he's really smart with math and stuff like that. He learned it through like. Like building something rather than feeling something, you know. Like yeah. you're gonna have it in different ways. Yeah. So for for you, when when you go, whatever band it is, no effects. When you were younger, what is the creative process like? Because like everyone has their own own thing. Like when when I used to do music as a kid, right? We'd all sit in the room, we'd listen to music, the beat would play, I'd write the song, all that stuff. Like for for you though, what was that creative process like? And still to this day. Well, for for no effects, I mean, I've been. I, I've been playing drums for 42 years. Yeah. And been in no effects for 40 years. Um, I'm going to move the mic closer. Sure. All right. Cool. I'm cool with eating things like this. (laughs) Just don't kick me in the nuts again. No. I mean, (laughs) don't threaten me. I will. No, anyways. So Mike has always just presented a song and then we just, you know, play what fits. You know, there hasn't ever really been like, hey, let's sit in a room and write stuff out you yeah. know Mike Mike is just always fiddling and, and he'll have a melody line and build a song behind it and that's the way it's been since day one yeah so like my writing experience isn't necessarily the same or anywhere near the same as other like bands that will sit in a room for a month and go like okay let's let's fucking see what comes out yeah. you know it's not like that Mike just presents shit and we just go 
Yeah. Do you do you enjoy it that way or? No, I'd rather sit in a room and have it come out organically. Yeah. Because uh, that way I feel like I will have more of a, I don't know if say is the right word, an influence of what I like musically rather than like, here's the song, we're going in the studio tomorrow, learn it. And then I'm like, what the fuck? I don't even know when to start and stop. Yeah. You know? Um, we used to be more on the line of like songs would come out organically because he would present the song and then we'd just play it live, play it live, play it live. This is back way back yeah. and it would just morph. Now he presents the song and we're recording it the next day. So it is what it is. Yeah, definitely. You know, I know so many people have asked you this question before and so I, I do apologize. Right. But no effects, right. So many kids grew up on, on, on your guys' music. Where does that story begin? What do you mean? Like, how did you guys all come together? Oh, um, well, I was playing in a band called Costa Cause, those mm -hmm. older guys. Well, okay. I had met Mike <clears throat> in Hollywood at this, at this club that was like the, the center of the L.A. punk scene. It was called the Cathay de Grand. Yeah. And this was, I met Mike maybe in 82. And all of us kids would be there five nights a week. Damn. And yeah, so... It had shows pretty much every night, and it was just a fucking hangout. It was a small, I mean, the place wasn't much bigger than this. But uh, I was behind it. You would just go and hang out behind it. And here comes a skinny kid riding a skateboard by. And I comment on a skateboard because it was a black flag skateboard. Nice. And it was Mike. And we just started chit chatting and talking and whatever. And he was like, I'm in a band. I'm in this band called False Alarm. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm the drummer of Costa Cause. And we were kind of known at the time. And he's like, fuck, we should play, we should play. But I was in Costa Cause. I didn't have a driver's license, so I couldn't drive to where Mike lived to play. Yeah, the Costa Cause guys would come to me. They 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 were actually from Candy Country. Damn, <laughs> they, they would drive down to me, so they were my ride. Without them, I couldn't couldn't play. I couldn't get my drums around. So I was like, okay, whatever. I can't. I can't. You know, I didn't have a driver's license, so no. But we stayed friends. We'd see each other at shows. You know, talk on the phone. And then we cultivated a real relationship. And then when I got my driver's license, sure enough, we started playing together. Damn. Yeah. Damn. So I met Mike at a punk show on the streets. And then I met Melvin pretty much the same way. And, you know, That's crazy. Was it love at first sight? He was an odd bird. <laughs> what do you mean was? Is. <laughs> Still uh, is. No, nah, it was cool. I mean, we were friends, you know. And, yeah. and uh, you know, we had a lot in common. We liked a lot of the same kind of music. And, you know. Uh, the only thing is he lived an hour away. He grew up in Beverly Hills. I grew up in Glendale. And, you know, that's about 45 minutes of a car drive. Yeah. You know? And so so the only way we could, would get together is meeting at a show. I would take a bus to the show. He would take a bus to the show. Fuck. To the Cafe de Grand. It was like a 20-minute 20, 20 drive, 30-minute drive from my house. And same with him. But anyways, uh, yeah. But I quit Costa Cause to join NoFX because the guys in Costa Cause were in their 30s, had lives, jobs, families, all that shit. And they were great musicians, but no facts, they were my friends. And we'd skateboard and drink beer and, and do what 16-year-olds do. Yep. You know, yep. so, so I quit an established band with guys that could really fucking play to join no effects for the camaraderie with guys that could not play. Yes, yeah. So my yeah. drumming really suffered right away. Damn, went, damn, that's crazy. You know... I, 
we, we look back at those moments when, when we're younger, you know, for me, I look at, you know, when I'm like 14, 15, 16, some of the greatest moments of, of my entire life, you, you don't have like a fucking care in the world, right? It's just like, you're, you're out living your life. You don't have all of these, you know, things that you have to handle. When you look back at those moments in your life, is it similar to what I just explained? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Like all I did was just sleep, eat go to school occasionally yeah. and then and then go to shows you know and i wasn't going to shows to see the bands per se i mean i was just going because it was my life friends the camaraderie the the you know it was the energy yeah and then as no effect started gaining a little traction we would just get in a van and just go like Damn. let's go to fucking seattle 17 years old let's fucking drive from here to fucking seattle and see what it's like you know and it was just Every fucking day was an adventure. Yes. You know, yeah. good or bad. Yeah, definitely. Know, but, but the older you get, the more you get fucking bogged down with the fucking this and the yep. that. And you, and you forget about how carefree it used to be. But it yes. was fucking awesome. It's amazing, right? It doesn't yep. matter if you're in your instance, right? You know, traveling in the van, doing all that shit. Or just like someone like me, just skateboarding, getting fucking high, partying, just having the, the time of your life. Everything, every single day is an adventure. Um but as you get older, you you get stuck in your ways, right? It's it's stuff gets in the way, okay. and then you get stuck in that way. Yes, and that's yeah. the way I kind of see it. You yeah. know, you know. I mean, but there's always at some point you kind of do got to shift gears, like as you you're do. getting a little older. <laughs> you know, because you see it. You see guys in their forties, fifties, and sixties. You know that are still trying to live that seventeen year old yeah. lifestyle, and it's like, dude, this didn't work out for you very well. No, no, not at all. I don't ever get that right because we we have to get older. We mature, and that's just life. You yeah, know? Um, you can still have fun, right? But it's just things are different, right? But I, I do. You know, I'm, I'm 36 now, and I, I have some friends that are like in their early forties, and they're still, you know, in the thick of it, right? And it's just like, I, I get it, I get it, but you know. For for me, it's life. Life is different, right? Yeah. Um. You know, when from the time that you started No Effects for you know creating it and all of that, right, to the time that you saw it gaining traction, how long was that? You know, like we we were so unconventional, or maybe it was conventional at the time, but it's so unconventional for the times now, because back then we started in eighty three. Yeah, we started in eighty three. We were just playing to play, just playing to have fun, whether it was in front of four people or 40 people or 400 people. Yeah. And we would just play no matter what. So there was no goal. There was no uh, trying to achieve anything. It was just about having fun, you know, living that life. But I do remember about 10 years later, like we were still just playing to play. I do remember like pulling up to a show and we were headlining it. You know, we'd, we had, I mean, when, I, when you say headlining, it's just, you know, it's a local show, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean shit. We're just, you know, local show on a Thursday night. I saw a, a sign that said sold out. Fuck. Like there's, like we had sold our, the 175 tickets or what? And it was like, what the fuck? Really? Like that. And so that was probably about 10, 10 years after starting. And it was just like, whoa, this is actually kind of becoming something. Yeah. You know, and then you could just kind of feel the energy. But like I said, we never did it for fame. We never did it for money. We never, we just did it because it was fun because we were just stupid kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's crazy, man. You know, like to, to think that you put 
10 years into something to just get to that point, right? Like, uh, but it wasn't just to get to that point. It was, it was, I, I get what you're saying. It was the daily thing, like, you know, yeah. just, just having fun. Yeah. You know, definitely. That, that, that's it, right? But a lot of people will give up after a year, six months, three years. What was different about you guys? Because your guys, you know, when that then the, the bigger wave came, yeah, uh, it, got, it was a lot bigger for sure. But like we, we, yeah, when the bigger wave came, we were already twelve years into the band. Yeah, what was different? It was we we just started so young, and everything was a win. There was no expectations. There was no so. Like I said, if we played a show, when we played our first show, it was like fuck. We just played a fucking show, rad. Yeah. And then when we played our first show out of town, like in Bakersfield or something, fuck yeah. We just played in Bakersfield. Oh my God, it was these little steps, yeah. you know? So it, we had no expectations. We had no nothing. Everything was a fucking win. No matter what happened, it was like winning the lottery, yeah. you know? Uh, you know, we're just fucking, we were three dumb fucking kids from LA. Whoa, shit, we're in fucking Reno. We just played in front of 35 people. You know, we just drove up here to play a show and it worked and one of us got laid. Awesome. (laughs) It was all of these little, just little fun moments that accumulated into years. And then next thing you know, in 1993 or whenever when punk rock broke, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. This is fucking legit. Yeah. You know? So like I said, there was no expectations. Every fucking thing was a win. Put out a, put out a single. But we paid for it ourselves. Fuck yeah, we got a record out. You you could say that, you know, yes. all of these little things. What did your friends and family think, you know, especially during those 12 years and until, you know, things really started to pop off for you guys? Did you guys have people around you saying like, what are you doing? Oh, we sucked. I mean, to be honest with you, like we were pretty fucking bad for the first 10 years, like, yeah. you know, at musicianship or whatever. But no, I never got questioned of like, you know, you're getting older. You got to figure this shit out. You know, you, yeah. you know, what are you going to do? Never got that. Maybe because, I mean, I was sort of the black sheep of the family and I had my issues with, with substances and stuff. I think they're more worried about like <laughs> my personal path than my musical hobby. Yes. You know, um, no, I never got that. I, I, maybe Mike did. I don't know because Mike was smart, went to college, you know, like he probably his mom or his dad probably had a plan in his head like, okay, you're going to go to college, you're going to get a degree, you're going to become a realist, realtor, you're going to become this or that, whatever it may be. My family was a little different. Like, yeah. dude, there was no expect. I was such a fuck up. There was no expectations on grades. There was no expectations on uh, school. That was just, just, I think my parents more just cross their fingers and hope it worked out for the best. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do you think, uh, I know you can't speak for Mike, but when things did start popping off, like it was like kind of be like, I, I fucking told you guys, you know, like, I, I don't know. Cause I, I hear this a lot of time from people that do whatever creators. No, whatever because there was no agenda. There was no, like, this is what we're going to be where you yeah. can say, see, I told you. Ah, okay. it, it, it was, there was ne- that was never it. It was yeah. just a fucking hobby that, you know, Mike went to college and we would meet up, once every, you know, five months to play a party. And then in the summertime, we'd hop in a van and just like string together a few shows or string, you know, like through. So there was never an agenda. There was never, it was just a fucking hobby for Mike. Melvin was just like working in a warehouse and just doing this or that. I was doing my drug shit. So it was just like a hobby. Then all of a sudden one day I was like, holy shit. Yeah. This fucking hobby actually turned into like something. Yeah. When when all that started to happen, 
what was that experience like for you guys? I mean, because especially like for uh, friendships have their ebb and flow, right? That's uh, just like anything, relationships, everything. So it's like to spend so much time with people. Um, I, I always look at some of these bands that have been around forever. It's like, how, how does that happen? Um, for, for you guys during those 12 years, was it just kind of like easy for you guys? Yeah, or? we all get, I mean, those first, like, like I said, the, the first handful of years was the three of us, me, Mike, and Mel. And then we brought in a couple of other guitar players and we got Hefe in 92. Yeah. But all along, we have always gotten along really well. Yeah. You know, really fucking well. So so there was never like any issues. You know, yeah, you fucking like, God damn it, you fucking didn't help us load up or whatever. There was stupid little bullshit, but there was never any like friendship and jeopardy or I don't like this fucking guy. There was none of that ever. Yeah. During, during, you know, those 10, 12 years, what was your life outside of music like? Uh, not very good. Were you working, doing anything? I was, you know, a lot of stupid little menial, like factory jobs or, or I worked at the LA Weekly for a couple years, like dropping off shit and picking shit up. But I mean, I was, you know, like, uh, I had a fucking long run with, of heroin, you know, yeah. to be honest with you yeah. and alcohol. So as that progressively got worse, my, um, higher ability and my accountability progressively got worse to where I was just like panhandling and stealing just yeah. trying to get well. Yeah. You know, and like I said, the band was just a fucking hobby. So it, I, there was no accountability with that either. There was no money to be made. I would show up and play the drums, but, um, but it, you know, like I said, it was once every few months we'd play a party here or there. And then during the summertime we would, you know, they would say, all right, we're going to pick you up and, wherever I was living at the time and we're going to go do a U.S. tour. Wow. But the U.S. tours were set up. We'd roll into a town, find the nearest record store and say, hey man, we're here. We want to play a party. We want to play someone's house and then string it along like that. Holy shit. There was never anything like really set up. There was no tour. We were just a backyard goof around band. You know, you just said that you went through your own experiences with, with drugs. You know, for for you, like how... How did you eventually get to the point where enough was enough? Because it's it's hard. Yeah, I understand. Um, uh, yeah, the um, my uh, my my awakening came in uh, the when, when did that be? S summer of ninety two. I was ostracized from the family. I was homeless, living in San Francisco. You know, I couldn't couldn't go home for Christmases or, you know, what I was just completely alone. I was uh, panhandling and I was that fucking street kid. Yeah. The only piece of reality that I had left of grounded reality was the band. And uh, Mike took me aside and Mike had always been an advocate for me saying like, look, we smoke weed and we fucking drink beer. Heroin is just his drug of choice. As long as he shows up and plays, we cannot be, we can't judge him. You know, um, I respect that. Yeah. I mean, you know, because the other guys wanted to kick me out a few times just because of my drug of choice, but I wasn't fucking up. But then it started, I started fucking up. Mike said, look, dude, you either fucking get your shit together, go to rehab, or we are kicking you out. It's, you know, I had heard idle threats in the past or mumblings of it, but yeah. I knew it was bullshit. He was like, he was crying. We're kicking you out. And I knew it was for real. And I knew that this awakening, this moment of clarity was 
if I lost the band, I would have lost everything in my life that meant something to me. I would be that guy alone under a bridge and dead shortly thereafter because there's no uh, happy endings with heroin. No. And, uh, and I knew in my heart of hearts for a long time this, I had become the person that I never wanted to become. You know, like I was always kind of experimenting with drugs, but but I I got wrapped up in this fucking prison that I couldn't escape. So if I lost the band, I would have lost everything because of this. I might as well just go jump off a bridge, and that was a you know, a moment of clarity. And I got I went to rehab uh, a couple weeks later, and here I am. That's powerful, man. Yeah, like that's you know people that have opiate addictions, it's a fucking bitch. Fuck yeah, it's a beast. You know. Um, you know, I've, I've gone through it and I know exactly what that's like. And, uh, you know, f- for you to go through that experience and have that moment of clarity and sitting here today, I mean, it's a, it's a fucking blessing because it's, it's a, it's a constant story in the music industry, in the world, in yeah. the world, in the world, the music industry is the only industry in the world where not only is, is it, ex- is, is it acceptable to be a fuck up? It's almost like appreciated. Yeah, you know what I mean, and it's almost like, fuck yeah, dude. And at the end of the day, we're all just people, and we go to sleep like everybody else, and it's, and we die like anybody else. So it's not fucking cool. No, it's not. It's not. Not not to get in that cycle and not to get stuck, man, because it's it's a bitch. So, all right, let's flash. Let's get back. Right. Um. So ninety two, ninety three, ninety four, ninety five when things really started to, to pop off, what album was that at that time? You know, like like every record, we when we signed to Epitaph, I think we signed to Epitaph in 89, I think so. We did it at SM Airlines. Yeah. And a little bit of track, a little bit. You know what I mean? Like the shows went from 14 people to 44 people. But it was, it was momentum. And then out came, I think, um, Ribbed, mm-hmm. and the 44 turned to 88. It's like, okay, cool. So it was a slow progression. And then White Trash came out in 92. That was the record. That was amazing. That was the record. Mike is like, we are kicking you out, and we're going to get Bomber from RKL to play drums. Fuck. Or you go to rehab. That was the record. And and so then I recorded that record strung out. And then I went to rehab like right afterwards. But that um, really started gaining like – it wasn't like a uh, slow trek. It like started. It was a jogging trek. You know, it wasn't a walk. It yeah. started jogging the pace, and then a year or so later, we did Punk and Drawback, and then it f- turned into full sprint. Yeah. So everything was just like a slow build, slow build, slow build. Whoa! And then it just went. So you guys go from it, it turns from a hobby then to a full fledged career. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I to be honest, I haven't worked since like a, a, a regular job since Punk and Drawback came out. And that came out in 94? Yeah. What, like what is that? When, when you think about that, right? You haven't worked a regular job since 94. Fucking weird. Right? Looks like I'm going to be looking for a job pretty soon, though. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I know. That's, that's, that's crazy. Uh, and, and we'll definitely talk a little bit about that. But um, uh, so Punk and Drublet comes out uh, and things just start booming. Right? Yeah, yeah. What is your surrounding like? Like at this point, right? Your 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 family, you, your friends, like they're like, holy shit, this is something. Yeah, you could feel there was an energy about it. And then um I was no longer ostracized from the family because I had gotten sober. Yes. And I was doing the work that I needed to do. So I was building relationships. It's so fucking weird, man. Like I've seen people 
they got sober around the same time, but their life trajectory never changed. Like they're just still struggling, still struggling, just and they're doing the grind staying sober. But the second I got sober, the second I got sober, the band fucking took off. It's so fucking weird. You know, so it was it was just just crazy. Like I felt like I got myself back. Um I got my family back. The band was like everything was just fucking great. I mean it still is great, don't get me yeah. wrong. It's fucking great. Yeah. What what do you think that was, right? Like do you think it was fate, destiny, uh just happenstance? Luck. I mean, it, it really is. You know, I mean, like, I'm just a fucking dude. Yeah. I play one fucking drum beat well enough to be, like, to do it for a living. But there's a million other better drummers. There's a million other better songwriters. It was, it's just fucking luck. Yeah. You know, I'm no better than the fucking dude that comes in here and sweeps, sweeps these floors at night. You know, it's. I so, totally get what you're saying. So yeah, so I'm, I just, I, I really respect the fact that, um, that I've been fortunate and I don't take it for granted and I never have and I will never give any shits about the rock and roll um um uh what's it called? Ego. Like that's fucking insane to me. People yeah. that like walk around with this fucking big don't you know who I am? It's like, dude, you're just a fucking dude that plays music, man. Yep. You're no big deal. That's exactly it. Will you move the mic just a little bit to the left there we go perfect perfect um you, you know you just hit a valid point right there like ego and that's something that does when people start to gain fame and notoriety there's something that goes to their head oh yeah from the moment that i met you today when i walked in after you right like i knew this you you don't have that that's not who you are and that's something very, very special and unique is this something that was just ingrained to you as a kid or is it just so, I don't know. It's just me, you know. I mean, like me. I, I I don't know. Like I see it. People that think that I don't know. I mean, it sounds judgmental because everybody has their own cross to bear. Everybody. A lot of times, the ego is because they're very insecure, so they put a fucking they put a fucking shield up. Like, don't you know who I am? You know. So everybody has their shit. Yeah. But you know, I grew up without a lot of money. My dad worked his ass off. My mom worked her ass off. And I just know how fortunate I am, yeah. you know. Um, I shouldn't be here with the, with my family history, my drug history, my education. What what my what was laid out for me from birth? I shouldn't fucking be here. I, I'm extremely lucky and fortunate. It's you 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 keep on saying this is luck, right? And a lot of people think that when these things happen to them like I, I was destined for this right and it's like i don't fuck that's bullshit man it's bullshit it's luck man because there's 50 other people that are just as talented as or you better or better right? right and it's just the luck of the draw yeah right it is it is like you go to las vegas and you see these fucking cover bands that are insane musicians and i'm sure those people can write insane songs yes but the world only has the capacity for so many fucking popular bands yes. i don't i don't mean i'm just making that up i don't know but it's but true. it is like there's a zillion great actors there's a zillion you know there's it's just fucking luck it i mean is. yes you have to put your work in but but getting to a point to where getting to a point to where we um it started working for us we didn't we just started off as fucking three jackasses and then 12 years later it's like fuck Look how lucky we are. We're making yes. a living from it. You know, it's not like we're, this is, 
there was no path paved for us. We we just fucking got lucky. Yeah. And you put the hard work in, right? Yeah, you, sure. You stuck around for those 12 years, right, where a lot of people give up. But there's plenty of other people out there, other bands out there that have done the same exact thing. That's what I tell bands all along. Just have fun. Because if you, if it doesn't go anywhere, at least you had fun and you win. Absolutely. If you set expectations, you're guaranteed failure. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's like we were talking about before the podcast. It's like so many people every single year at the beginning, at the end of the year, they set these goals and just, they're setting themselves up for failure. And that's why, you know, for, for me, it's like, I, I'm not doing that shit anymore. I'm doing what makes me happy. Right. And seeing that shit through and whatever happens, happens. Right. And just take it daily, like one thing at a time, yeah. you know, you know, but if you say in the next fucking six months, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. It's like, no, you're not. No. No. Yeah, because if it doesn't start going your way, you see it's not going to happen, then you give up on it because you set a fucking goal. Yeah. I mean, it's good to have goals and expectations, but it's not good to have um, you deserve it. Yes. You know, I don't know. It's the ego. It's fucking ego. It's ego, right? You ever uh, heard of the book, The Secret? Yeah, I have actually. Right? And it's, but it's about putting the shit out, right? Yeah, it's like you put the shit out there and it'll come back. But there's... Uh, Listen, it's man. It's not that fucking it's, No, it's not. It's not. You, once again, you, you said it a whole bunch of luck, man. Yes, the hard work, right? And that that is very, very important, you know, and consistency, very, very important. But what it comes down to is luck of the draw because if there's 10 people doing all the same fucking thing and only one of them make it, what was different about these nine other people? Right. You know, so it's just, yeah, it's, it is. It is. So, you know, you guys, uh, you guys drop uh, Punk and Drublick, right? Um, at this point... How many people are coming to see you guys? Okay, uh, when White Trash came out, it went from like, I don't know, 80 people a show to all of a sudden now there's like 400. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? That's huge. Yeah. And then Punk and Drubba came out. Now all of a sudden there's 1,200, you know, at shows. And we're starting to play like European festivals. Like, you know, like the one o'clock in the afternoon slot, but there's 8,000 people there. Yep. You know, like you can feel the fucking, the flow. Yeah. You know, it, it, and like I said, it's luck. Offspring, Green Day, you know. Thank you. They they, they fucking kind of kicked open the door for the public, the outside public, to know like, oh, what's this punk rock shit? Yes. And w we were kind of on their heels. And same with Rancid, you know. Yes. And so it was really beneficial for us, but not having to change our trajectory or change like our um, style. Yes. You know. Yeah, definitely. You know, that time is like very... Uh, very unique because you had bands like you know nirvana and um bush and you know there there was like this this grunge era but at the same time you guys punk rock is just fucking booming yeah. too like 94 yeah. 95 96 um and yeah green day offspring they definitely you know open up the door but it's so cool to see that all of these bands that inspired the younger generation um do you see kind of flash forward to today uh something similar happening again with punk rock music you know like it feels like there's a resurgence like in the last maybe maybe since covid kind of ended it feels like there's a little resurgence <clears throat> but i'm gonna be completely frank and honest like my finger's so far off the fucking pulse yeah like i'm fucking 56 you know, I'm not 21. Yeah. I don't know who the upcoming bands are. I, I've been doing, I've been playing punk rock music for 42 years. So it's like I'm just enjoying watching ESPN and fucking yeah. listening to NPR. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I don't have the drive to go to the shows, and I don't have like if it's a friend of mine, yeah. 
my finger's off the pulse. There are bands that I do stumble across that kick me in the balls, like, whoa, like the Bronx. When I first heard them, like, yeah. I don't know, 10 years ago or something, I was like, what the... They, a, a lot of bands to me sound... To me, this is just me, because my finger's so far off the pulse. Doesn't feel very punk rock, but I know that's not true. There's a lot of it out there. But, like, when I do hear, like, the Bronx, unique, raw, natural, you know, like... It's not the same fucking formula. Like, I was like, that's it. Or, like, when um, the Gallows, like, when yeah. they came out. Like, sort of the same thing. And then now now, now the Gallows turned into uh, Frank Turner and the Rattlesnakes. Mm-hmm. Or Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, I mean. Like, that, even though it's not punk rock, it has that unique kind of vibe. But the the day-to-day, the the... The scene itself, I don't really know what's what's coming or going. No, and I respect that. You know, it's not like you're trashing or hating on it by any means. You just don't know, and that's totally fucking. You fine. know, and the guys that paved the punk rock before me, like you know, like we started in '83. Let's say, let me you, get, come up with a band for example. Oh shit! When did the Ramones come out? They started in '74, I think, but '77 was their first record. Okay, the Ramones. Yeah, like we played with them in their heyday a few times. Wow! But we started after them. They probably didn't know shit about the epitaph music scene or whatever. They were, you know, because they were from the generation before. Yes. You know, and so um, it's sort of the same thing. Definitely. You know, so like there's this young scene going on right now and we're at the Ramones. Yep. You know, we're the old guys that have been doing it forever. And there's this whole thing underneath underneath us uh, that they belong to that I have no fucking clue about. Is that is that weird to say we're the old guys now, we're the Ramones? It was pretty. I mean, it's weird to say that we're, we're the Ramones now. But I mean, but it's <laughs> it's true that we've been together forty fucking years. I think the only active band that has not stopped playing is Bad Religion, and they've been together a year and a half longer than us. That's not that much, you know. No. Uh, um, yeah, it's kind of weird. It was pretty self. It was pretty evident the last year we did the Warp Tour, two thousand nine. Fuck, man, such a yeah. I mean, it was fucking, you know, I was 2009, I was like, what, 42 or something like that? Yeah. And I was like, fuck, and there was all these 19-year-old bands where, when I was the 19, and all the, and they're like, fuck, dude, I'm, I'm eating fucking Metamucil and Geritol, <laughs> and they're out just fucking raging. It was pretty obvious yeah. that we're the old guys. Is that, it kind of sucks that Vans Warped Tour stopped. I get it, though. It wasn't viable. Yeah. Because. The business model, right? Yeah, the, I mean, it's festival the music changes the you know it for however long it went was fucking phenomenal yeah but but as you know it started punk rock it started like punk rock and then it went into the sky punk rock thing then it yep. went into the screamo kind of thing and then it went into like uh all-american rejects kind of the more poppy kind of shit but those it's all fucking kind of niche music and it comes and it goes so the business model wasn't very viable for a long time yeah definitely for that long of a time yeah who knows? Maybe it'll come back. They have that, uh, what, the When We Were Young festival. Yeah, that was huge. Yeah, yeah. Except yeah. for the second, no, the first day didn't happen. Yeah, why is that? Weather. Wind ah. was blowing so much. I mean, they had like, I don't know, 20,000 tickets sold, but the show couldn't go on because it was too windy. Damn, that sucks, man. Yeah. So yeah, maybe things like that will continue to pop up more and more, right? Um, you know, where, you know, for, for no effects, right, and for you guys, like you guys have always had like this, this, uh, like, Sorry if I'm wrong, but like a like a like a political like yeah. statement. No, Mike. Right? Mike is very um, aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is that something that you guys 
spoke about? Is that just something that was written in the music? Like, how does that all come about? Because I always wonder, like, you know, some bands will talk about love and life, but like you guys well, are first off, like the, the decline. Yeah, the punk rock era that we came from was fuck you in your face, fuck the establishment, fuck authority. You know, it's pretty fucking stupid when you think about it. You know, yeah. fuck authority. But, but I mean, I it, what but but it was it was the teenage uh, culture of yes. of the early eighties punk rock. So we grew from that, right? And maybe it was because coming out of the Vietnam War and the and the Vietnam War ended in seventy five, and I was you know ten years old. You know, it was part of our lives. Yes. And uh, then the hippie thing was on the same page as punk rock, but more like peaceful, like fuck, you know, love, yes. love. And we're like, no, fuck, let's smash it down. So we came from an era where politics was part of the music. It's what it, what punk rock was based on, sort of. You know, yeah. it was a very big part of it. And then, you know, Mike's a smart guy. He majored in college in political science. You know, he's always had dabblings in that world. And so it just transitioned seamlessly, you know. You know, yeah. his writing wasn't so much like fuck the system, but his writing was more, uh, I don't know, poetic or more like thought out. But it was still sort of like pointing out the hypocrisies and pointing out the the issues of the world. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, I mean, and I think, and punk rock got away from that with, like, the fucking poppy punky kind of thing. It was my girlfriend in love and this yes. and that, which is fucking bullshit. That's not punk rock. <laughs> Just because you're playing faster than rock and roll, that's not punk rock. Yeah, uh, I totally get what you're it's saying. It's nothing dangerous about singing your fucking, taking your girlfriend to the movies. Yes, yes. There's, there's something dangerous about what you guys would see, speak about, right? Yeah. Right, and... um and I, I think that really resonates uh, deep with a lot of people that that have similar feelings. You know, when you guys came out with the decline, that was just it was fucking mind blowing. Yeah, that's. I'm gonna be totally honest. Mike has written some really good songs, written a lot of mediocre songs, and and some songs that I think I wouldn't be a fan of the band if that was our songs. You know, yeah. the decline to me is what I hold up on a musical like it just musical pedestal and. To me, it's a perfect song. It is fucking. Per I got chills right now, man. Yeah. Like I remember the first time I heard, I was, what the fuck is this? And it's just so long and so many levels and right. just so beautiful. And I'm not one to talk our shit up, but that fucking song, man, it takes you for an emotional ride. And lyrically, it is fucking genius. And music is supposed to, in my opinion, have peaks and valleys and be emotional and take you take you out of just listening to something you know and that's why listening to records when i was a kid was an escape you'd put it on and for 45 minutes you would have uh, a, a musical novel it's songs aren't made to be listened to one piece at a time like downloading because it's it doesn't paint a full picture of the artwork the decline has all of that in one song yeah it does slow parts fast parts moody parts happy parts and just lyrically it's like wow, where the fuck did you come up with this shit, you wacko? How did you guys, like, I, I know you said that he, he wrote it, but, like, the, the drums, like, how does that even come about? I learned it in two days and recorded it the next day. Yeah, what we did was we... What? Yeah, I think there's, I, I could be wrong in the number, I don't know, there's either 36 or 54 different parts to that song, something like that, so I, let's just go with 36. Yeah. I learned it as 36 different songs. Like, the first part we called the RKL part because there's a band called R RKL. It was real riffy. That ding, ding, da, 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 da. And then we just labeled them all, and I, I learned the first part. 
And then I learned the second part. And then I'd piece them together. I learned the third part, piece all three of those together until I had the whole song start to finish. We had it charted out too on a wall. And then uh, when we recorded it, it was pre-Pro Tools. We recorded it on tape. So you could hear a little fuck-ups here and there. But what I would do is I, I just would start, start at the beginning of the song, play as far as I could through all the parts and all that stuff. And then if I fucked up or dropped a stick, we'd stop there, back up 30 seconds, and, and start playing it again from like right before the fuck-up. And then they would edit the tape together. You could, you could physically edit tape together on breaks. Yeah. Edit the tape together. So actually what you're hearing is a live performance of me start to finish of the song with a few edits. Dude. In two days as well? I recorded that in one day. I think one day, maybe two days, but I learned it in two days. When you guys, when that was all done, what was going through your guy's head? Well, I hadn't heard anything other than like just sitting in the room and Mike playing riffs and then me piecing the riffs together. I hadn't heard it with lyrics or anything like that because it was just, it was still, Mike had it musically written out, but, or, you know, yeah, musically the riffs tied together, but I hadn't heard the the lyrics or the, the melody lines or the, you know, any of that stuff. Yeah. So when I first heard it, I was like, what? Like, it just kind of blew my mind. And, and I got to give credit where credit's due. Writing a long-ass punk song like that wasn't our idea. There's this band called the Subhumans from England. Mm-hmm. They had a song called Crid- Cradle to the Grave. And I think it's 14 minutes long. It's sort of the, you know, it definitely influenced us. Yeah, for sure. But you guys is like 17? 18. 18. Shit, man. Yeah. Tyler, yeah, I, I, I know you've heard me play it a whole bunch of times in the car, but I'll, I'll play it for you. It's just fucking so beautiful. Have you man. seen the um, the Red Rocks video? Were you guys perform there? Yeah. That song? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think Watch so. Watch it. That is us because we're doing it with a 30-piece orchestra. Fuck. Yeah, behind us and how it weaves. It's on YouTube. Um, it's us and a 30-piece orchestra at Red Rocks, I don't know, three years ago, four years, right before, right before COVID. And uh, it's completely live. What you see, like we, it that was the proudest moment of me playing live ever out of like, I don't know, 3,000 shows I've played or something like that. We we all had tears in our eyes. <laughs> Fucking insane. What is it about that? What, what was it about that experience is so magical to you? Playing with an orchestra. Like, like we would stop, the orchestra would take over, we would come in, and it was just, it was just, I, I don't know, man. The venue, the vibe, the orchestra, how well we played it, it was fucking, I don't know, man. Dude. Very, like I said, I'm not one to talk our shit up. To me, that's something I'm extremely proud of. Look at this, man. Some some kids from L.A. making this a hobby for 12 years to flash forward all these years later, having a 30-piece orchestra at fucking Red Rocks. Yeah, in front of 6,000 people or something. Like, that is... That's insane. Yeah, and we recorded it. It's it's it, We put it out on a record and, and, and a video like multiple edits and it's fucking pretty rad enough of that bullshit ah come on come on come on no 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 but seriously so beautiful so uh let's kind of let's take a take a step back right so um you guys come out punk and dreadlock what was the next album after that heavy petting zoo i'm okay. <laughs> not too proud of that one no okay we can gloss over that one well i'll, t- I'll tell you no, why i'm here. not too proud of that one 
Mike, that's when Weezer came out. Okay. And Mike really liked the distorted guitars, the fuzzy, the slower songs. But we didn't know anything about keys, like writing in a, in a certain key, of me, like the key. All the songs he wrote were in too low of a key, so when he sings, it's like all whispery and soft. If we would have just bumped it up a key, like, yeah, bumped it up a key, I mean, it would have been more aggressive and harder. So it was, it was just a rookie mistake. Shit happens. Yeah, like like we talk about now, like, fuck, the songs would have been way better if it had more aggression, and the way to get more aggression is bring it up a key so Mike's singing at a higher higher note. You ever thought about redoing it? Fuck no, the songs suck. <laughs> Keys aside, those songs suck. Oh, shit. Okay, so what came after that? I don't know. Ah, okay. So Long and Thanks for All the Shoes or Pump Up the Volume or... Oh, shit, dude. Pump Up the Volume. Is that what it was? I uh, looked at it with Tyler... Uh, can you look up No Effects discography? I think that's the correct word, right? Uh, Tyler's working hard for his living. Yes, he for, is. Wait for his money. <laughs> um, but uh, so, what? Around what time is this? Like, uh, pump up the volume. Ninety six ish, I guess. Ninety seven. Fuck, you guys were cranking out record. Two thousand. Okay, then what was before that? So long and thanks for all the shoes. No. No. Oh, uh, yeah, well, White Trash, then... So long and thanks for all the other. Yeah, there you okay, go. Yeah. There you go. So that was, what, 98? 97. So there it is. Okay. So that came that came next. Uh, when you think of those two records, what first comes to your head? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, like... like um. It was just in the middle of all the shit. Like nothing comes my like we had a couple of little stupid ska songs because ska was kind of big yeah. in the part. That was uh, like whatever, you know. But nothing really, to be honest okay. with you. Uh, pump up the volume. So yeah, I don't know. During during this during this time, you know, because you guys would be touring and doing music. When you get home, what were you? What else were you focusing on outside of music? Had you started the surfboards yet? No, I, I mean no, I hadn't started. This, I hadn't started shaping. I was just living life, man. Like, you yeah. know, just being my late 20s, just having a good time, you know, like kind of just doing the, the the single rock star guy thing. There we go. Yeah, there you know. Um, yeah, I don't, it, was, it was just just cruising, just, is, just cruising. Is that, is that weird to say, 20s single rock star guy? Yeah, especially now because like, I'm pushing 60. Yeah. Married. Yeah. Retiring punk punk guy. That's got to be weird to say. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about it? Yeah, you can talk whatever you want. Why? I don't know. What? <laughs> you know, like, like, um, we've been talking about it for a while, like, how, how long are we going to r- run this road, you know? And, and Mike's been vocal about, like, you know, hey, I'm, ti- I'm really tired. I, touring's really rough. You know, and so we just talked about it and said, okay, let's just, let's just. But you don't think like just done forever. We're still going to record. Okay. We're still going to record. We're still going to play music, but uh, I don't think we're playing any more shows. I don't, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I'm telling you guys, you guys say, say you guys go two, three, four years. You won't do a show at Rep. But come on, man. Like. I know. uh, I mean, that's where we're at now. I'm not saying that. And I'm saying like. What we've said is fucking what we feel now. You know, things change, but I'm saying this is it. This is it, yeah. I mean, because, I mean, traveling and touring's got to be so fucking hard on the body, though. 
It is, but but when you for okay for me, it's what I've done for for you know a long time. Yeah, it's who I am, so it hurts. I I still want to play live and I still want to do it, but I got to respect the other guys. Yes, you know I do. It's just it's just not all about me. Um, you know Mike's lifestyle is a little bit different than mine on the road, so maybe yes. that has something to do with it. Yes, you know I, you know I I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but as of right now wholeheartedly this is it holy shit man yeah when you guys announced that what was going through your head did you cry i'm gonna turn this off sorry about that okay <laughs> this is how it was announced this is truth we had been talking about it yeah we talked about putting out a press release talking about just like that kind of shit but that it was just in talk i'm out to lunch with a dude uh talking business stuff for surfboard me expanding the surfboard my phone just goes ding 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 and just I'm like oh fuck dude my house burnt down fucking you know whatever we're getting invaded what's going on and I pick up my phone and everyone's like is this really for real are you guys really breaking up what's going on this is your last the press release came out without any of us knowing it like whoa like Mike said okay you know he said something and then it caught like wildfire. So it was a kick in the fucking balls because yes, we've been talking about it. Yes, yes, it was it was moving forward, but had not prepared myself, you know, had not said, okay, guys, at twelve o'clock on Tuesday, it's going out. So it was like, fuck me. It was like stumbling across your fucking wife on you porn, finding yeah. out she's cheating on you, you know, you're yep. like, like, dude, really? So he apologized for that. Like, well, I'm sorry. I didn't realize this fucking blindsided all you guys. Yeah. But that's how I found out. Yeah, that's got to be fucking terrible. It hurt. It, it hurt. Does. But at the same time, it was still going to happen no matter what. Yeah. But I wasn't prepared for it to happen without me knowing it. Yeah, because you got to be like mentally prepared for right. shit like that, right? Yeah, you, right, you, right? You have to, right? Yeah. And I'm sure he's very sorry about that. But like... It was such a shock for a lot of us, you know, that have been fans for so long to, to see this. You know, I was like, are these guys like fighting? Is that why they're no, breaking up? No. You know, so it's it's cool to hear to, you know, the diff different story. But, you know, I, I sit here today. I think you guys will perform some shows again. I'm hopeful at least. It's good to have hope. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to have hope. Thanks for crushing my dreams, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll dive back real quick. So, you, you go through the 2000s. You guys are still obviously playing music, touring. Um, was there a point in, in your career where it was like it went up, 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 and then you saw the backside and it started to go down a little bit? <sighs> Maybe pre-COVID just a little bit. Pre-COVID a little bit. You know, it's it's always been pretty fucking solid. You know, it's always been pretty solid. Um, I had always internally been like, I want to ride this out until it's obvious we should get off the fucking train, you know? Yeah. And I haven't seen that obviousness, you know? But, but that was just from attendees and record sales. It wasn't like an emotional thing, like I'm tired of doing this, like where, where Mike's at. But I, you know, yeah, there's there, there's been some shows that were softer than they should have been. But then again, the next night there were shows that were like fucking just as big as they've ever been. So it, it's sort of a blessing and a curse because when you've been a band as long as we have, 
people have seen you 10,000 times, yeah. they might go, ah, I, they're coming through next next week. I've seen them before. But at the same time, we still have that fan base to draw off of. So I think there's going to be ups and downs no matter what at the level we're at. For sure. Uh, yeah, I, I think for, for all bands. But to be able to maintain this for so long, because, yeah, I mean, you see so many people that, you know, have some hit songs and then all of a sudden, you know, they were performing 10,000, you know, people shows and then now it's like 500, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah, that would be tough, man. That would be, that's what I'm talking about. Like when, when, when there's an obvious drop off and obvious like, okay, the momentum is gone, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like I've always wanted to leave no effects, leave it with some integrity, yeah. leave it at a high or close to a high. And that's what we're doing. I mean, There's other bands that run it in like, okay, I'm going to throw out unwritten law, you know, like they had their moment, you know, they were never huge, but they definitely weren't small. And now they can't fucking draw 14 people, you know, and why are you still fucking doing it? You know, yeah. it, it, that, I mean, I get it. Playing music and all that. That's fun. But, but it, I don't know. I mean, there's integrity as well. Yeah. I mean, there comes a time where sometimes you just got to hang your hat up, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know. Sorry, uh, unwritten law, guys. <laughs> it's, it's all good, dude. It's probably something they would say, too. So, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I know a lot of bands, especially during, like, the pandemic and everything like that, like, it, it affected them big time. You know, not being able to tour and do what you love. For you guys, like, for you mentally, how, how was that? Dude, when that fucking, when it, it was tough because... The day everything went on lockdown, boom. You know, uh, I'm like, holy fuck. Not, o- not only am I not emotionally ready for retirement, I'm not financially ready for retirement. And our world might have just changed forever. There might not ever be shows again. There might not be. So it was scary as fuck, you know, because it's what I've done forever. This is how I make a living is how I support my kids and my fam, my wife and all that kind of shit. What just happened overnight, you know? And, and then that put a lot of pressure on my wife. My wife has a really good job, but it put the whole financial burden responsibility on her. Yeah. Well, I'm like, okay, what's going on? So I'm going to, I've always said this on one other podcast and I haven't really told anybody, um, I'm not emotionally ready to retire. I'm not financially ready to retire. Like, yeah, I got a good little savings, but it's nothing that's going to last me and forever. No way. We're punk rock. We don't make rock star money, you know. Uh, I ended up delivering groceries because, A, I wanted to participate in the household. Like, if my wife kept coming home two months into it and I'm still sitting on the couch scratching my balls with a cup of coffee telling her about how rad this movie was that I just watched... I'm not participating in my life, in our family's life. I'm not supporting her, you know? So I had to do it to support my family. I mean, yeah, I was bringing in barely anything, but it was showing the initiative, the emotional support. I was delivering groceries because I wanted to give back to society and I wanted to participate in my family, you know? So it was fucking humbling, but it it was cool too at the same time, and it was scary. Yeah, man, I respect the shit out of you so much more right now for saying that. A, for being so open about it, but B, for what that means to a family. Yeah, I was only making 100 bucks a day. But, you know, I was doing it to show my wife, like, look, I'm not, I will find something. I will work. I am not going to fucking let you carry the whole load just because you're able to. 
Yes. It's not fair. No, no, it's you not. Know? It's, it's mind boggling when uh, couples um, allow that. And so for you to step up for everything that you've done, for who you are, your, your music, everything, right. To humble yourself to that shows it, who I, you are. I said it was humbling, but, but I didn't have to humble myself. It was like, it was like, it was actually a no brainer. Yeah. You know what I mean? There was no like existential crisis. Like, what am I? Or I wasn't like lowering myself to it. It was a no brainer. Like I have to support the family and I know the hundred bucks makes no difference, but I know it shows what I'm willing to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Through that experience is that, well, let me actually back up through that experience. What did your kids say about that? Your wife, what did they think of it? Um, she seemed actually kind of stoked. Uh, yeah. I'd be like, I like, babe, I just fucking went and picked up some groceries and I dropped off this old lady. She gave me a twenty dollar tip. Yeah, you know. And the thing is, was helping a little old lady that couldn't go out of the house. Absolutely. You know, um, my kids didn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're fucking teenagers. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. But being a parent isn't about like kids follow action more than they follow words. You know, like you could say, don't do this and do this. But if your actions don't mimic your words, they're not going to pick it up. Kids learn by seeing, not by hearing. Actions speak louder than words. Yeah, It's so true. Yeah. It's so fucking true. Um, is this the time that you started designing surfboards? I'd been shaping for 15 years, okay. like for myself and for friends and sold at a couple shops here and there. But yes, I was like, I was like, okay, doing the grocery things, fucking cool. I enjoyed it. It was fun it was but i have i've been shaping surfboards they work pretty well and i have a database you know no effects fans that some of it has to some of them have to be surfers for sure why not just fucking say hey guys this is what i you know it's a hobby that i've been doing for a while hey guys i actually shape surfboards if you want one i'll custom make you a surfboard and so then since that I stopped doing the groceries. Yep. And I've been shaping full time now. And I've probably done in the last couple of years 400 boards. No way. Yeah. Yeah. How do you even like how, when you go to make a surfboard or shape it like what does it even come in? It's it's a it's a foam blank. It's looks like a um it kind of looks like a surfboard, but okay. it's just a, a boxy blank with the stringer that's the wood through it and it has the surf has the the rocker in it that's the the arc yeah. you know and then you just fucking get at it you have you have templates that's the outline of the surfboard you cut out the template you start and then you get a planer on it and then you just start fucking sculpting oh my gosh yeah. it's so creative man it's rad it's fucking rad and then how do you like paint like do you use a special paint do you seal it in uh, I'll paint, I paint the boards. Yeah. yeah you got to use a special paint. You got to use water-based paints. But then, then after, after the boards are shaped and after you put color on them or, or not, you get them fiberglass. I, I won't, I don't do it. Yeah. I, I take it to a place and then they, they do, they do, that's a chemical shit and all that stuff. Yeah. I, you know, it's a fucking, that's a learned art in itself. Yeah, definitely. You know? So do you paint it and then they fiberglass over it? Yeah. yeah. Fuck, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So like I've, you know, like. After we get them here, I got to go finish up a surfboard, and I do it every fucking day. You know, there's also I I done a bunch by hand, like the way I just described. Yeah. But then also a couple years ago, there's this program where you could design 
the surfboard on a on a program and then get it how you want exactly look at it 3d and show like that and send that file off and then uh a company will cut it for you and you get it back and it's about 60 percent done shit it saves you a couple hours with the work and it's fucking worth the 30 extra bucks for me yeah to pay for that and then you just clean it up and tweak shit and all that kind of stuff and then if that surfboard the guy says, okay, it does this, this, this really well, but it doesn't do this. On the program, I could tweak it hundreds of an inch, you know? Fuck. And then, so I could know what the adjustments actually do, rather than shaping by hand. You're just kind of guessing all the way through. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's so fucking cool that we have that ability now. Fuck right? it, it's rad. Go on a computer, design what you want, set it away, they send yeah. it back. Like, that's fucking awesome. So, you know, like, the thing with, like, surfing for me is the same with, like, music for me. Like, Surfing has always taken me out of the, the moment and let, let me explore the water and just get away. And and then, like music, music, there's an artistic uh, process of, of writing the music. There's an artistic process of making a surfboard. Each surfboard does different things in different, uh, different styles of waves or different, you know, all kinds of different things. So I was like, oh, shit. Listening to music wasn't good enough. I wanted to play it. Surfing isn't good enough. I want to make myself a surfboard and see if it works. And that was 15 years ago. Jeez. And so now I've probably done six to 800 boards total, you know, um, but I, I fucking love it. Where do you see that going? Uh, you know, I just see it as, as, I mean, I just see it as something I do for a hobby. And, uh, you know, I don't make any money. I mean, I make a little bit of money, but I don't make money at it, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's so many big companies making surfboards. I mean, I'm not going to compete with them. Yeah. You know, it's just, I just, I make custom surfboards for people that want to surf custom surfboards. And, um, I just see it kind of just continuing the way it is. Yeah. That, so the way that that goes is like someone reaches out to you, they tell you what they want and then you yeah, and then I call them and we discuss things and blah, 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 blah. Um, but I have been exploring more like selling t-shirts, like pickle sticks, yep. t-shirts and stuff like that. And that, that, that works. That's fun. You know, like I'm going to do like these, these farewell tours. I'm going to have a booth set up there and all that kind of, I just did punk in the park and it was fun. You know, yes. it's just a creative outlet. It's just something to do. And it's just an, another way to, for me to participate in the world rather than being a fucking like, eh, I'm not going to fucking <laughs> tour anymore. You know, I, I got to do something. Yes. Yeah. Did your creative genes pass through and your wife's obviously passed to your kids? Um, no, <laughs> I mean, yes, uh, our daughter is a really good artist, but she's never like explored anything with it. The, our, our sons, we have two sons are, I was always pretty athletic, you know, they're extremely athletic. One's a ripping skater and snowboarder, Fuck yeah. but they haven't, my, our youngest is starting to write music. But it's like the hip hop shit with beats that you buy, and it's actually pretty good, you know. But um, yeah, no, they they just kind of did the more traditional school sports, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, when you when you leave this earth, what do you want people to remember you for? Just being a nice guy. That's it. That's it. And and having integrity. Yeah. Why is that so important to you? I mean, if you don't have integrity, what do you have? You know, integrity, like, just, just be a stand-up guy. Yeah. You know? I just, I don't know. You know, some of the coolest people I've met through this podcast, when I ask them that question, it's relatively the same. It's just 
Don't be a dick. Don't be an asshole. Be right. a good person. Right. Hey, just because I play music or just because you're an, someone's an actor, just, you know, you're just a fucking person at the end of the day. You shit. You got a fucking pimple on your ass. The women get their period and they're fucking, you know. Yes. It's like there's no difference between that and, and you know, a guy making bread at a fucking factory. Yeah. No you difference. know, and I just want to, you know, just have integrity. Just mean what I say and say what I mean and and be as good as possible. You're doing a fantastic job at it, man. Well, thank you, sir. You seriously are. Um, as, as we start to kind of wind this down, um, I got a couple more questions, though. Um, you looking back at your your career, right? You said Red Rocks was one of you know most amazing moments of all of it. Is there any other ones that stick out? That night we pulled up and that sold out sign on the front. Yeah, that was like like what the fuck, really? The Red Rocks. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, there was there was one the first big European festival we played. We played it was called the it's called the Bazaar Festival. It's in Germany, and this was maybe ninety four. We played with fuck, I can't remember who headlined, but it was Porno for Pyros, Hole, Us. I don't know, but um, we were the second band. Hole was the first band, and I've known Courtney for a while. Like we were friends. And this is right after Kurt had died and blah, 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 blah. And we're playing a festival. There's, I don't know, 8,000 people out front. And right as we're starting, this fucking, I start getting smacked upside the head, like playing, like someone's hitting me. And I turn around, look, and Courtney's on the stage standing behind me, hit me in the head. Like, I don't know, just fucking around, right? Whatever. And so we just went with it, whatever. It was cool. It was funny. Then after the show, she goes, you know, we opened for you. We opened up for Pearl Jam. No, 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 no. Pearl Jam opened up for us once. Per, like, like that was a big thing. Like, and I go, yeah, they opened up for you once. Then they got much bigger than you. You know, it was just kind of fun, like busting balls with their. Yeah. That, I don't know. For some reason, that kind of stuck stuck with yeah. me. Yeah, uh, I mean, having these stories is just like such a, a unique experience. Not not too many people get to uh, live the life that you have been able to live. Yeah, you know, it's. I've met a lot of really fucking good people. In the, yeah. in the music world, like, like it was texting with Jay Bentley from Bad Religion yesterday. We're really good friends, you know. Like, like a lot of really good fucking. Th- I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking, uh, I'm gonna name drop a little bit right now. Go um, for it. Like I, Dave Grohl and I have, have been, you know, I've, been, I've known him since before, before Foo Fight. I mean, before Nirvana and then yeah. in Foo Fighters, and I hadn't seen him like in twenty fucking years. And the other night, I was at a party. And he just walked straight up to me. He's like, dude, and just started fucking like, no effect, you guys, blah, blah. And it was just fuck. it just felt good. You know, it just felt fucking good. Yeah. You know, like, just, we're all people at the end of the day, and we all have fucking funny stories, and we all just talk shit, and no one's fucking bigger or better than anybody else. And it's just, it just felt good to have that conversation with a guy of that stature, even though he's just a fucking dude like me with a pimple on his ass. Yeah. Yeah. But he is Dave fucking girl. Yeah. And he loves your music. That's fucking cool. I love his music. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. Good. Fuck yeah. Very, very talented. Ah, why did I say that? I feel like a fucking dick for dropping that name. No, 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 no. I, I don't think so at all. I think that's a that's an awesome experience, and I don't. you don't sound like a dick or egotistical or anything like that by any fucking means. Um, do you believe in aliens? I do not not believe in aliens. <laughs> Are you trying to get on a Tom DeLonge thing here? <laughs> no, no, uh, no, no, no. It's a question I ask everyone. I do not not believe in aliens. Yeah. I mean, I mean, first off, what the fuck's an alien? 
Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? Uh, uh, yeah, I find it weird that, that <laughs> um, like in all these horror movies that we see, like the fucking aliens from outer space just look like a fish in the ocean. So maybe the fish in the ocean are, you know. Could be alien. Could be alien. Yeah. I don't fucking know. Or you the know? aliens are in the ocean. Right. Who the fuck knows? And the thing is, is this is what I can't wrap my head around. And I've been like going over this with my kids a little bit at times. It's like, um, look up to the sky. It never stops. It never. It goes on forever. But more than forever. You know, yes. um, everything we know is linear. There's yeah. a beginning and an end. Every single thing. And to think that something, there's no beginning and no end, fucking, I cannot wrap, cannot wrap my head around that. So to, so to think that, I mean, everybody should say this, it would be pretty fucking egotistical to say we're the only ones. Of course. Dude. Yes, there's other life forms, for sure. It'd be very scary if we were the only ones, too. But it is very unlikely that we would be the only ones out there or we're just cancer on this planet you know uh, we're, we're not even alive we're just fucking cells eating this place up yeah that's that's another story <laughs> yeah it's true it's true um you know you've had this incredible career you've done all of these awesome things but we didn't i didn't ask you about the book uh-oh how the fuck did that all come about pretty rad i'm pretty proud of that too you should be uh well the guy that okay we did a tv show called backstage passport and the guy there's two guys ryan harlan and jeff alulis filmed it and edited it and did the whole fucking thing and i don't think they had they'd maybe done one other film but jeff alulis i think mike proposed to him like hey dude would you want to write a book not like the typical like rock star like I was doing fucking blow off of four strippers' asses and yeah. fucking you know you don't know how tiring it is fucking nine <laughs> chicks at once. No, not that. It was like every band has a story and it's the personal story. It's who the band members are. So if we do a book, we want to do a book. We want it to be about the individuals. So Jeff had never written a book before in his life, and he said, "Okay, I'm willing to take on that 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 uh, task." Yeah. So we each did probably about 40 hours of interviews, like throughout, like, you know, six months, you know, a couple hours here, a couple hours there. And the interviews weren't so much as interviews, more like just talking and, you know, and stuff like that. And then Jeff wrote the book. So we didn't do the hard work. We just told story, just told what's inside. Yeah. You know, he fucking created that fucking, that, that book. Dude, what I absolutely loved about it was it came from your guys' minds, right? But it's so funny to hear the same story coming out from different members in the band, but such different perspectives. Dude, it's funny. He actually hit me up one time. He's like, dude, I got to ask you something. When I ask you guys, when I ask you a question, you, Hefe, and Mike's stories, yeah, there'll be differences, but they align. Yes. He goes, has Melvin always been that fucking thing? <laughs> he goes, well, I'll say, well, I'll say, oh, we were in Nebraska. It was blah, 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 blah. And Melvin will go, oh, we were in fucking China. And then fucking, you know, <laughs> and, and, and his story is like, it never fucking, but that's his perspective. Yes, it's all But yeah, that's the whole thing. It's like, we each tell individual stories or talk about feelings or whatever. And then it's the other person's take on it. And then how they, how they sink or don't sink or whatever it may yeah. be. Yeah. And the audio book was fucking awesome, man. Thank you. It's so like, I remember when that dropped, I was like, definitely. And, um, and then I just went through it so fucking quickly and I was just so pumped about it. And it's just so cool to hear, like, I've never, um, maybe the dirt, 
something similar? Yeah, the Motley Crue one? Yeah, the Motley Crue. Yeah, but isn't that more, I didn't read it, but isn't yeah. that more like ego talk? Yeah, oh, 100%, 100%. Rockstar you're, talk? Yeah, yours Rather than like, you know, like, no, we have to expose who we are. 100%. You guys peeled back the layers. Right. Very, very deep. They they, they did not. It was all just Rockstar shit. But I was just trying to think of like yeah, that, something where it was just like the mem- the band members all speaking about their, you know, own experiences. That was sort of like, I don't, that was sort of like, okay, there's the dirt. It did really well. And I didn't read it, but I heard it was really good. Yeah, it was. But it was not deep. It wasn't personal. It was like, yeah. we have to do that, but about us, yes. who we are, our traumas, our, you know, what makes us the person that we are. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, when it came out, were you, were you nervous? Were you afraid? I mean, because you guys it's, exposed a lot. There's two things. There's two things that... um when I got the first manuscript, the first draft, yeah. I read it and I was like, fuck, it's really good. It's really good. I really liked it. And a couple little changes here and there. And then when the book came out, I read it again. And and the family stuff, whatever, I just went through it, whatever. But then I talked some shit about this woman that I had a relationship with, a, a one-night stand or whatever. Yeah in a certain state and I made fun of her appearance and I made fun of her weight and I was like, fuck, she's probably going to read this and it's probably going to hurt her fucking feelings. And that is not cool. So I, and I can't take it back. And, and I feel really bad about that because that's, you know, I was telling a funny story, but at her expense, not realizing that however many people are going to read it. And then Later on, I started doing interviews about the book, and people would ask me questions about my childhood and about my upbringing. And, you know, I exposed some ugly truths about the family. And um, my mom read it, and she was she understood and was cool with it, but she told my dad, don't read it. It's, it's not going to do you any good. And just the fact that my story, everybody's story is their story, and they have the right to speak it. Yes. But... My dad and I didn't have a good relationship as as a kid, and we have a very good relationship now. And the fact that it, he's a very stoic, hard, tough man, but it's all because he's very soft on the inside. I don't want him to hurt. I don't want him to hear about it or read about it and and hurt him because we're not there. We don't need to be there. You know, yeah. him and I are totally cool. So okay. those are the two things that like. My story and my words in a book, one, probably did hurt somebody pretty bad, and two, has the potential to really hurt my father. Yeah. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> Do you think you read it? No. He told me he wasn't going to read it, and it's funny. Like, all the stories in the book, okay, my dad, my dad's like this big dude. He's fucking hard. He's like, doesn't put up with shit. And when we were touring with the guy Jeff and Ryan, the guys in the band would tell stories about my dad, right? Yeah. And... uh so when, and then, so my dad's a kind of a scary guy. And then when it came time to do the book, I had the guy, Jeff, meet, my, my dad lives up in the ghetto in Bell Gardens. Yeah. And I had to go get something at my dad's shop. And the guy, Jeff, that's doing the book had heard stories about my dad. <laughs> we walk into my dad's shop and it's like full on Sanford and Son junkyard. <laughs> and I go, hey dad, this is Jeff. He's the guy writing the book. And my dad looked at him and he goes, you better not paint me to be a fucking asshole, you dick. <laughs> Let's and go. threatened Jeff right there. <laughs> and, and Jeff, I just could just see him just quick. That's the only interaction that Jeff had with my dad. 
<laughs> I love that, man. Yeah, yeah it, it's, um, I, I respect what you just said, you know, apologizing. Shit happens, man. It is your story and it is what it is, but it was a, it was a great piece of art and it's, it's really cool that, do I, I, let me say this, has, have your kids ever read it? My daughter read it. Okay. Uh, did she have questions? Yeah, she did. Yeah. She did. Uh, we talked them through. It's all good. Yeah. It's all good. Um, she actually, um, yeah, no, it was, it was all good. Yeah. The, my son's now, you know, fucking teenagers. Yeah. You know, I don't give yeah. a shit. I get that. I get that. Well, maybe in years to come, you know, yeah, and maybe. it's always, it's always so cool that, you know, you create these works of art and, um, maybe not today, but 10, 20, 30 yeah. years. And down when the road. book, the book came out, what, 10 years ago or something yeah. like that, the kids were, they were young. Yeah. Eight. Yeah. You know, and then, uh, no fucking way would I let them read that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. I, I do. I really fucking appreciate you coming on the show. My pleasure, um, dude. It was a fucking blast. It was. It was awesome. Thank you. Thank Uh-oh, you. Oh, we got thank something you. over here. What? Oh, uh, oh. Well. Oh, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Shameless plugs. Well, I was gonna let him do it at the end, but thank you. Is Tyler. this? Is, is <laughs> this sorry. the end? Uh, we're about to wrap it up. Yeah. Okay. Should I put a plug out there? Do you want to put a plug? Fuck. No, of course. So uh, for the people listening, why don't you share the book? Where can people find you? Your surfboards. All right. All here we show. go. The book's called. The hepatitis bathtub, <laughs> I think. No effects in the hepatitis bathtub. Uh, I shape surfboards. I've been shaping them for a long time. If you guys want a surfboard, fucking yada, da 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 da. Cheaper than the stores and custom made. Pickle sticks with an X. Pickle sticks surfboards on Instagram with an underscore. Pickle sticks surfboards underscore. Or email me, pickle sticks surfboards, Gmail. Or the website, pickle sticks surfboards. <laughs> and then, yeah, that's about it. I love it, man. I love it. Um, one more question. All right. What inspires you? Or who inspires you? Fuck, dude. This is going to sound so cheesy and cliche, but it's the truth. My wife. It's the fucking truth. She works 10 hours a day, comes home, greets us all with smiles and hugs and makes dinner, um, has taught me to be a parent, has taught me how to talk to the children appropriately. Uh, 100% the gnarliest, raddest fucking woman ever. And I'm not just saying that to suck up. It's the fucking truth. Dude, you're going to make me cry. Ah, fuck no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm being dead serious because that would that is my answer. My wife, his sister. Whoa, you're fucking his sister? <laughs> is that true? For 18 years, bro. Dude, your sister puts out. <laughs> I love you, brother. Thank uh, you so much for coming on the show, my man. My pleasure. Oh, oh, never mind. I don't have it with me. What, what are you looking for? A picture of my wife in a bikini. Ooh. Nope, not going to do it. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, dude. Thank you. All right, dude. Hey, I don't know about your sister, man. She's fucking this dude. <laughs> Let's go, baby. Yeah. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. My pleasure, dude. My hey, pleasure. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful night, day, whenever you listen to this. Cool. Boom. Bring it in. Oh, boy.